Good morning. How are we all doing? We're a loud bunch this morning. Woo! Woo, Rowdy. It reminded me, actually, I was a part of a rowdy prayer meeting this morning. There's nothing worse than a boring meeting, but there's nothing better than a rowdy prayer meeting. And I was involved in a row. Anybody agree? Yeah, those that were at the prayer meeting, it was, it was really good. The presence of God was there. God was increasing our faith as we were praying. It was so good. And um, the only way it could get better is if maybe you were there next time. So 9.30 to about 10 after 10 or so, we pray. We pray for the service. We pray for everything going on. We also pray for personal needs and whatever. It's fantastic. And um, so, uh, yeah, just a little shameless plug for our prayer meeting before the service. I think it has something to do with why it's so rowdy here this morning. So, um, again, I want to say a special welcome to uh, uh, those who are here, especially if you're here for the very first time. I remember my first time coming to this church. It was so disorienting. It was like nothing I had ever experienced. I grew up in a very different kind of a church experience, and so I appreciate that you're here, and I hope that somehow you connect with God, or he connects with you in a very significant and powerful way. So I'm so glad that you're here. Well, we are in, believe it or not, the fourth week of our Fruit of the Spirit Countdown Sermon Series. And that's actually what we've called it, uh, the Fruit of the Spirit Countdown series. So if you're just joining us, we are working our way backwards through a list of Holy Spirit-infused characteristics of Christians that's found in this phenomenal book, the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. And here is the list. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this week, yeah, this week we are going to be looking at goodness. We're going to look at what it is. We're also going to look at what it isn't. We're going to look at where it comes from. And we're also going to um, consider together how it can be expressed. And that's the reason why this is here. The microphone, the microphone. So we'll get to talk together about how this can be expressed. And so you get to help um, make this sermon what it's going to be. So I've entitled this sermon, Goodness Gracious. Goodness Gracious. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that this day we may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, we pray that this day we may take up our cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, we pray that this day you will fill us with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, uh, context is very important when studying scripture. I hope you all know this. It's very important. Galatians 5.22 to 23 
Uh, of course, they're embedded in this letter, Galatians, the book of uh, Galatians. And it's written by the Apostle Paul. And this book is written to a variety of churches in an area that I think of um, or I compare it to anything went. Um, I also th- kind of think it reminds me of some parts of northern New York not too long ago. <laughs> a little wild and a little lawless. And, but this is, this is the context of this book. Paul is writing to people who lived in that kind of environment. And it helps to explain why he was able to say in verse 19, you'll have to look it up, but in Galatians chapter 5 verse 19, he says that the acts of the flesh are obvious. They're obvious. They're everywhere. And then he lists them. And it's a little embarrassing in church to list them, but we will because they're obvious. Um, They're everywhere. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, and on and on and on. You can tell he had spent some time there, and he had seen it, and it was obvious, the acts of the sinful nature. So this was the context of these church plants that he had started. And it was out of this context that God called them to step away from their old way of living and to keep in step with the Holy Spirit that now lived within them. This is the book of Galatians. So God's Spirit led them away from their own sinful patterns that were so deadly toward a Jesus once summed up this life of abundance that is belongs to all of us that are in Christ Jesus. And, and if this sounds good, surrender your life to Jesus. Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If that sounds good, Give your life to Jesus. Our sinful nature, our sinful nature, unrestrained and unretrained, destroys relationships. Ever seen that? It destroys relationships. They're hearing this message. It still separates you from God. Additionally, our sin always has a negative impact on others. And it also negatively impacts our own spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical health, our sinful nature. Look again at the acts of the sinful nature in Galatians 5, 19 and 21, and it will become obvious just how destructive living this way is to both ourselves and also to those around us. But... And this is the but that Scott pointed out last week, which uh, is in verse 22. Verse 22 begins with this word, but, B-U-T, only one T on this but. And um, it says, but the God-given fruit of the Spirit, as it ripens in us, reverses the natural effect of our sinful nature. Can we say yes and amen to that? This is what the fruit of the Spirit does. It erases, it reverses. 
It's like the antidote of our sinful nature. The spirit, the spiritual fruit that God is growing within us, it never destroys relationships, but it always builds them up. Think about it. It's his love. It's his joy. It's his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness and his gentleness and his discipline. It's his fruit, right? That changes our mind, our heart, our will, our attitude, and our behavior. This is the result of the fruit of the Spirit. And the changes that occur because of this fruit, it it always strengthens relationships. First with him, with God, with ourselves, and certainly always with others. You see this in Jesus, who embodied the fruit of the Spirit. And in this way, and in the way that he loved and he cared for others. He embraced us with love, and he set for an example to follow. And this is why I stand before you as a preacher. It's not because I'm in love with the church. It's because I'm in love with Jesus. Yeah, it's because of the way that he loves people and the way that he cares for people. And I want to be a part of that. And I want to be a part of a community that is all about loving others and caring for people in Jesus' name. And he's, so he sets this as example, and then he empowers us with his spirit, and he says, now go and do likewise. As you have seen me do, now go and do. Let me just read this passage from John 15. Jesus um, explains this a little bit further. John 15, he says, Jesus says that I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then he goes on. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The teaching is clear. What Jesus is saying is very clear. Remain in him, and good things are going to happen. This is good. He continues. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love, he says. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his, his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my Father's name, the Father will give you. And he sums it all up. This is my command. This is it. Love one another. Love each other. So how do you know? How do you know that the fruit of the Spirit is developing within you? Look at your relationships. Look at the quality of your relationships, and you'll know. You'll know. And if you don't know, they certainly will. That's how you can know. Is the, how's the fruit of the Holy Spirit growing in your life? All right, so that's a little background to, again, to the fruit of the Spirit. I think every week we're trying to, like, give a little background to the fruit uh, so that we better understand it um, before we dive into uh, the specific fruit focus for this week. And this week's fruit is the fruit of goodness. Yes, the fruit of goodness. All right, so we have to start. What is goodness? You have to start with the definition. What is goodness? So a modern dictionary will define goodness something like this. It's a quality of being morally good or virtuous. Quality of being morally good or virtuous. And I think that this is the way that most people think of goodness today. Just um, having uh, uh, some really good morals, being virtuous. If we take this defini definition, we might think that to have the fruit of goodness just simply means that we just have to live a good life. It's kind of what it means. Maybe go around wearing life is good, you know, attire or something like that. Um, it might suggest that, you know, we should do what everybody else is doing and we work hard and, you know, we pay our taxes and we're, we're friendly to other people and whatever we do, we do, you know, we just try not to hurt other people. And that's what maybe, you know, that's, you, you could think, well, maybe that's what it means by just having the fruit of goodness. Don't forget to pay your taxes. So those are all good things. Um, again, working hard, being nice to people, not hurting people is really good. Um, but it doesn't quite describe the fruit of goodness that's given to us by the Spirit of God. So, um, the fruit of goodness is actually very closely connected with another word 
and the word is generosity. It's very closely connected. In fact, some translations say the fruit of generosity. Um, And so this is a legitimate way that you could think of this word. And it kind of changes the meaning, doesn't it, suddenly? Oh, I didn't know that. So tell me more. Okay, then I will. Tricked you. All right. So the word of goodness that Paul uses in the Galatians in the original language, and it's always helpful if you can to go back and try to see what, the, what it is in the original language, which is Greek. It's the word agathos. Which, and it's frequently used in the New Testament to convey the idea of doing something good for someone else. There it is, right there. Doing something good for someone else. And it has this idea of generosity. So, for example, and we'll, we'll look at two examples, um, otherwise I'd preach a, another long sermon. Ephesians 4, uh, chapter, uh, ch- uh, chapter 4, verse 28, Paul wrote this in Ephesians. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. That's a good sign of having the fruit of the Spirit, by the way. But must work doing something useful, and there's the Greek word, agathos, must do something um, good with their own hands. Why? So that they have something to share with those in need. The two are related there. It's the idea of doing something good, not for your own self, but for the good of others. Agathos. Uh, also, um, in 1 Thessalonians five fifteen, Paul wrote, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good, agathos, uh, for each other and for everyone else. And then Jesus, um, he tells this uh, parable. And I think it's in this parable that, that we really see how closely linked goodness is with generosity. Um, it's found in Matthew 20. It's commonly referred to as the parable of the workers in the vineyard. I'm just going to sum it up. Um, And then I'll read the final few verses. So in this parable, uh, many of you will remember a landowner hires day laborers to work in his vineyard. And those who began to work early in the day received, as one would expect, a full day's wage. Because they worked all day long. So that seems fair. Seems right. Others, however, who had been hired later in the afternoon also were given a full day's wage. So you might expect um, that there would be some very unhappy workers. And the parables says, indeed, there were. The early workers raised a complaint saying that what they had received wasn't fair when you compare it to what others Um, had been receiving, especially those Johnny-come-latelys. And so we pick up the story, uh, Matthew 20, verse 11. Jesus, again, he's telling this story. It's a story. It's a parable to make a point. When they received it, the, the payment, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, Um, who had borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he, the landowner, answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. 
Didn't you agree to work for a denarius or a, a full day's wage? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious? Because I am, and here's the word, agathos, because I am good, or because I'm generous. Yeah. The fruit of goodness. The workers were expecting the landowners to be fair. That's what they were expecting. They weren't expecting him to be generous. And I can imagine them yelling out, goodness gracious, what are you thinking? And the landowner responding, exactly. What then is goodness in the context of spiritual fruit? It's God's beneficence, which honestly, it's just a fancy word, meaning goodness and generosity. It's those two ideas together. They actually have a word in the English, beneficence. And it's given by the Holy Spirit, so it's not something we work up. It's given to us by the Holy Spirit to believers, to Christians, for their benefit, yes, and for the benefit of others. As we generously share his goodness in both the ways in which we live our lives and the ways in which we speak about our faith. Like all good fruit, God intends that we share it with others. That's what we get to do. But what makes the fruit of goodness so special? Can't people be good without God? Without the Holy Spirit? In fact, some would argue that they see more good being done in the world by people outside the church than being done by people within the church. And I think that this is a good question to wrestle with. However, uh, what is mostly being compared to here, I believe, is, um, and I'm going to use the fruit imagery again, I think we're comparing apples to oranges here um, with this argument. Of course, people can be good, and people do incredibly good things without God. It's amazing the good that people are able to do. And we need to be reminded it's because we're all made in the image of God, every human being. And yes, the good being done by Christians sometimes does pale in comparison to the good work that's being done by people outside the church. That is a true reality. However, the fruit of goodness is not the same thing as just being good or just doing good. It's a reference to the very goodness of God that's maturing within us. There's the focus. And that's what we need to remember. So then the real question is, what makes God's goodness so good? And the answer is God. 
That's what makes his goodness so good. Thank you. Jesus once said this, why do you call me good? This is Jesus, why do you call me good? No one is good, agathos. No one is good except God alone. And so this was, should not have been new information for um, the Jews at the time. Because long before the time of Jesus, people would all the time um, sing and declare the goodness of God. You may recall this. I memorized this as a child. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. The Psalms are filled with declarations of the goodness of God. The Old Testament is filled with declarations of the goodness of God. This, what Jesus was pointing out, should not have been new information. When we say that God is good, when we sing that God is good, we are ascribing to him both moral and spiritual perfection that he alone possesses. That's what that means. When we affirm the goodness of God, we are saying that everything about him, who he is, what he does, what he creates, what he commands, what he gives, is good, is perfect. Psalm 86.5 says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. So God is good. All the time, God is perfect, he's holy, he's righteous, he's just all the time. You go to the bank on that one. Think about when he created the heavens and the earth. After each day of creation, he looked at what he had made and he declared it is it's good. It's really good. And when, he, when, he, when it was all finished, he looked at what he had made and he said, wow, it's very good. It's very good. In everything he does, in everything he makes, we see the goodness of God. And because of the goodness of God, we can trust that what he commands and what he wills is good. And we need to hear this. What he commands and what he wills is good. Don't fight it. Submit to it, because it's good. The Apostle Paul wrote, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good his pleasing, and his perfect will. Don't resist the will of God. Don't resist his commands. Submit to him and to them because they are always good. Always good. And finally, because we know that the Lord is good, we can affirm what James, the brother of Jesus, wrote about the nature of what God gives James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, 
um, who does not change like shifting shadows. So everything about God, who he is, what he does, what he creates, what he commands, what he gives, it's both good and perfect because he alone is good and perfect. Yes? Is this the God we worship? Is this the God you worship? Amen. Yes.